Well, we've uh, been doing this series on the Celebrate Recovery program and kind of talking through the eight steps that are a part of that. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of go through the first couple here in a minute. But I wanted to start off with this idea that um, if you ever realize that you, really we all, have this tendency to get stuck in our lives. You might get stuck in a relationship. You might get stuck with a particular habit that isn't particularly good. You might get stuck in, uh, in grief when you lose a loved one. Sometimes we get stuck in anger. Sometimes we can get stuck in our, our jobs. And when that happens, when this feeling of being stuck in something sort of starts to take over, this familiar cycle starts. See if this doesn't sound familiar. So once you get stuck, then you start feeling guilty that you're stuck. And you say, I, I wish I could get out of this, but I can't. And so you have this guilt because you can't seem to get out of it and you can't seem to change. And then comes a period of anger because you get mad at yourself because you're like, I should be able to change, but I can't. And so you get angry and frustrated. And then after that sort of subsides, you go into this period uh, of fear. Because then you get afraid. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get out of this. This thing has got such control of me. I'm going to end up in the hospital. And then fear eventually turns to depression. And you start to feel sorry for yourself and you have a pity party. And so you sort of resign yourself to this feeling and you say, well, I'm just going to give up because I, I can't change. And then the cycle starts all over again and you get even more stuck. So how do you break out of all of that stuckness? I think I just made up a word. But that's what it is, isn't it? It's stuckness. It's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. It's what Celebrate Recovery is all about. It's about getting freedom from those things that cause us to get stuck. And so we've used this diagram uh, of this word recovery to sort of highlight each of these steps that uh, are, are part of the solution for this. And we said that um, the first week we talked about uh, this realize, word realize, which is the reality step, okay? And we said that in order to get past this, first of all, we've got to realize that I'm, you, are not God. You have to admit that you're powerless to control the tendency to do wrong things in your life and that your life is, in some respect or another, unmanageable. The second step is really the hope step. We said that step two was to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. All right, that's step two. But see, it's not enough just to know that God will help you. You've got to take some action yourself. 
you've got to make a decision. You've got to walk across the room, so to speak. And so the C in recovery is for consciously. And step three says this, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Now that step is based on what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He said this, and this should be a familiar scripture to a lot of people if you uh, are familiar with the Gospels at all. But in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus is saying, come to me. It's God's invitation. He says right there, I'm going to make your life easier. I will lighten your load. You'll have relief. You'll have release. You'll have rest. You'll have rejuvenation. What a deal. Why would anybody turn that deal down? But the reality is that some of you have heard this before and you've never acted on it. It's kind of like having an unopened gift. God says, I want to give you this gift. I want to give you relief and release and recovery. And you haven't done anything about it. What keeps us from taking this third step? What causes us to procrastinate in giving our problems to God and to delay the surrender of our lives to the, to the care and control of Jesus? Well, I think pride is probably at the top of the list. Your pride will keep you from admitting that you need help. Proverbs 18.12 says, Pride first, then the crash. But humility is precursor to honor. All right, dads out there, maybe men in general, how many of you are too proud to stop and ask for directions? Proverbs 10.8 says, A wise heart takes orders. An empty head will come unglued. <laughs> I liked the message version of these a little bit better today. It just seemed a little more to the point, right? Maybe, maybe you're not ready to take this step. Maybe you're not ready to say, I give control and care of my life to Jesus. Maybe all you need is a greater dose of pain. God will gladly allow it to get your attention. Then there's guilt. Guilt will keep you from taking this step. Guilt says, oh, I may be ashamed to ask God for help. Proverbs 40.12 says, For troubles surround me, too many to count. 
My sins pile up so high, I can't see a way out. Perhaps you're embarrassed to ask God for help. Sometimes I will hear people say, but God doesn't know all of the things that I've done wrong. I couldn't go to God and ask for help. (laughs) Oh, I got news for you. He does know. And you're wrong. If that's the way you think, you're dead wrong. There is no sin that God cannot forgive. And he wants to help you. So don't let pride or guilt keep you away from taking the step. He wants to forgive your guilt. All right? So what else? Fear. You've probably heard the story about the guy who falls off a cliff and about halfway down he manages to snag a branch that is secure enough that it'll hold his weight. So he's hanging there, 500 feet up, 500 feet down. And he cries out in fear and panic. He says, somebody help me. And then all of a sudden, he hears the voice of God from above. And God says, this is the Lord. Trust me. Let go and I'll catch you. And he looks down 500 feet. And he looks up, and he says, is there anybody else up there? (laughs) See, sometimes God's the last resort. I'm afraid to let go. There's some here that I know are hanging on for dear life to that branch, and you're saying, well, this really isn't that bad. It's no problem, really. I'm fine. What are you afraid of if you commit your life to Jesus? What are you afraid is going to happen if you give God the care and control of your life? Well, he'll turn me into a religious fanatic. No, he won't. And honestly... What would be wrong with that? See, we seem to have no problem going to a football game on Saturday, all dressed up in team colors and yelling and cheering and booing until we're hoarse. And then we come in here on Sunday, and we're too timid to raise our hands during worship because we don't want to look like a fanatic. Really? That's your excuse? Or you say, well, I don't want anybody controlling me. Wow, who are you kidding? You're being controlled all the time. It's just that you choose who you're being controlled by when you let God control your life. Right now, you're controlled by the opinions of other people. You're controlled by hurts that you can't forget and you can't seem to shake. You're controlled by habits, by hang-ups, by the way your parents brought you up. Do you know what freedom really is? Freedom is choosing who controls you. Or maybe you're worried that you have to give up everything fun and pleasurable in life to become a Christian. 
you know, don't worry about the specifics right now. If you focus on the, the specifics, you'll never make the greater decision. And it's the greater decision which is the step to recovery. Just come to God and say, God, I don't really know what, what you might want me to give up. But I do know that I want my life to be under your control, so I'm just going to give you a blank check. And give it to him. Give God a blank check. Give him your life. Let him take care of the rest. All right? Don't worry about it. And I, you know, I will say this. I'm standing here looking my 61st birthday square in the eye, and I can tell you from experience that stuff that really seems appealing to you now, whether you're a Christian or not, a year from now probably is not going to be anywhere near as appealing. That's without God even in the picture, okay? So do a reality check here. What else? Well, there's worry. Sometimes worry keeps us from surrendering our life to the care and control of Christ. And see, what happens here is we sort of confuse the decision-making phase for the problem-solving phase. Okay, those are two separate things. All right? Back in 1963, John Kennedy, president at the time, John Kennedy, announced publicly, we are going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. That was the decision. Had all the problems been solved about how to do that? No. Not even close. I think at that point they still had rockets that were exploding on the launch pad. But we should never confuse decision-making with problem-solving. See, if you confuse the two, you never make the decision. You have to make the decision and then solve the problems. Kennedy said, we're going to go to the moon. Then it became NASA's problem to solve the problems on how to do it. When Sally and I started this church 10 years ago, did we have all the answers? No. In fact, and some of you are going to be nodding your head vigorously at this, I knew very little about being a pastor even though I had graduated from seminary. They don't really teach you how to be a pastor there. They teach you a lot of good things, but that's not among them. We had the grand sum of $3,000 from Vineyard USA. We had no monetary donation or ministry team from the church that sent us. We had, and start, there were two of us. And she didn't always like my sermons. <laughs> but see, we made the decision. We acted on faith and believed what God was doing. And we're still here after those 10 years, despite the odds being heavily stacked against us. Now, do you want to know what the odds are? I looked this up. And these are rough statistics, but here are the odds. They're roughly the same for a new business and a new church. All right? 40% of new churches close by the end of the first year. Within five years, more than 80% of them will fail. Of the 20% that make it past the first five years, 
80% of those won't make it past the second five. If you run the numbers, that's a 4% success rate. And here we are. It's because we made the decision based on what we believed God was doing and left the rest up to him. Here may be the most important thing that I'll say today. The Christian life is a decision followed by a process. It's the same with recovery. It's a decision followed by a process. All I'm talking about today is the decision. Okay, let's go do it. Let's go for it. That's the decision. All it means is that God gets a presence in my life. Does it mean that everything in my life is perfect? <laughs> oh, hell no. <laughs> Pardon my French. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's a process. So don't worry about it. Just trust God. And then there's doubt. Say, I want to believe, but my faith just seems so small. But look at what scripture says. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible to you. Have you, I actually have seen a mustard seed. Someone showed me one one time. And it's probably not much bigger than the very tip of your little fingernail. That's all the faith you need. It's not the size of your faith that matters. It's the size of what you put that faith in. It's the size of your God. You can have giant faith and then put it into the wrong thing. So faith really isn't the issue. The issue is what do you put it in? A little faith in a big God gets big results. Don't let any of these things keep you from taking this step. Now, we've been uh, showing a series of testimonies from people in this series, and we've got another one um, today, which I think you'll find kind of interesting. If nothing else, it's, it's sort of fascinating because these people are Australian, and I always like listening to Australians. <laughs> John's giving me the thumbs up back there. Hi, it's great to be in Saddleback again. I'm Keith, and I'm a believer struggling with codependence. Hi, I'm here with my beautiful wife Vivian. We hail from Perth in Western Australia and for those who don't have a clue what or where that is, it's on the west coast of Australia so it's about as far from Saddleback as you could go in the earth and find, uh, find any civilization. We call it civilization anyway. Um, our city has a population of around one and a half million and the whole state, and uh, sorry Texans, but you could fit Texas and California together again three times. <laughs> but we have a population of something under two million. So you can see we're reasonably isolated. But in this isolated spot, God's given us a great opportunity to share his love and 
we're really pleased to be able to share some of that journey with you today. Hi, I'm Viv and I'm a believer and I'm still in recovery from codependence. <laughs> Keith and I were both born into Christian homes, were raised in the Salvation Army by Christian parents to whom we owe a real debt for what they instilled in us and we accepted the Saviour as young children and set out from then to serve him as best as we could. We met in a combined youth group and when we were both involved in our many activities in our respective churches. We were married in 1965 and only a year after Excuse we were me. married... By the way, she was only 10. <laughs> <laughs> only a year after we were married, we decided that we wanted to see the world and we moved to Toronto, Canada to live for a while and this while lasted for nearly three years and our first son, Carl, was born in Winnipeg, Canada in 1969. And after a time in Europe, we returned home, proud parents and ready to start to make our mark on the world. Unfortunately, this was the start of a long decline in our relationship with the Lord. We just didn't fit in in our home church and we gradually stopped attending. And that was the way we remained for over 10 years. And that 10 years was simply the worst of our life. We filled all the gaps in our lives with more important things than church and church activities. It has to prove that I could be somebody. And not only did a full-time job, but I enrolled to do an economics degree at university. And that left Viv at home to care for the family, which by now had grown to include another son, Kurt, and a daughter, Dana. When I finished university, I still managed to find ways to be away from home for most of the time while I built my career. While Keith built his life, I was raising our family and for most of the time quite alone. However, we did find time to discover just how good parties could be. And we soon found that hosting long parties could replace a lot of things we were missing by eliminating that spiritual dimension from our lives. For me, I discovered how good alcohol was and how good it was in blocking out the feelings of frustration in my life. I'd grown up in a home which I thought was quite normal. But looking back, I realised it was very dysfunctional. One never spoke of their real feelings, and this continued into my marriage. One day after a party, I couldn't remember how I got home, and this really frightened me. This was the alarm call I needed. I believe if God hadn't intervened then, I'm sure that our lives would be completely different now. But God is good, and he does get our attention if we care to stop long enough to listen. A new neighbour moved next door to our house and she had just found the Lord. When she found out that we'd been Christians, she was quite convinced that God had put her there for the sole purpose of witnessing to us. I told her that we'd been there and we'd done that and don't worry about it, you'll grow out of it. But, uh, <laughs> but she persisted. Coincidentally, we had started taking the boys to Sunday school and church cub scout groups, which Keith was persuaded to run. And this meant that we had to turn out to church parades at least, and so we attended on an occasional basis. That was until one day, when we were in church, an invitation was given to accept the Lord. And I distinctly heard the Lord say to me, I'm not going to give you another chance. I gave my heart back to the Lord that day. Keith said that he had also been convicted but he didn't need it. 
However, only a few weeks later, after I'd been attending church every Sunday by myself, Keith came with me and at the very start of the service, walked down to the front, knelt down and gave his heart back to the Lord. And that, as we say on the front of our weekly CR bulletin, was the start of an amazing spiritual adventure. For 14 years, we got right back to where we'd been before, fulfilling our life's mission as codependents. Keith, as a church board member, running everything in sight, and me working in the areas of women's ministry, family care, and counselling. And then our lives took a reasonably dramatic turn. I'd started my own business and it went very spectacularly for a while. But just as spectacularly as it went, it failed. We were left with no home, no income, and we really couldn't understand why this was happening to us. However, we did believe that God had new things for us. We'd moved to a tiny pioneer church called Beachway Vineyard. It was a strange church. We met in the cafe of a hotel, so we had to wait for the breakfast to finish when we could move in, and we had to move out for the bar to open at lunchtime. That was until the church started to grow, and then just like Saddleback, we became completely nomadic and as we grew and grew. In the first year at the new church, we were tired, and so we just sat. However, in the mid-1996, God started to impress on us that there was real work he wanted us to do. But what? We decided to fast and pray separately, to seek God's will for what he wanted for us. Within two days, we both had the, rep the reply so clearly, feed the poor. Knowing that this was completely wrong, we didn't share with each other for nearly three weeks. <laughs> and when we did, we realized we were in big trouble. You see, we had nothing some weeks. We couldn't put food on our own table. And here was a strange instruction. However, we decided that we had no alternative but to trust God, and we set out to obey him. And God provided in a spectacular way. We opened a cafe on November the 4th, 1996, right on the beachfront of Perth's Best Beach. We had a completely equipped cafe, and it had cost us the sum total of $765. In that first year, we served 25,000 meals. Since then, we've served well over 200,000 meals, entirely free of charge, to poor people in three different locations. From the very beginning, God has provided every penny of the money that we needed to keep the cafe open, and we give him all the praise. In August 1997, the most devastating thing that could happen to any parent came on us. Our second son, who had worked all his life to become a doctor, died. He was under a huge strain and unbeknown to us was self-medicating to get through. One night, after nearly a hundred hour week, he came home with only a three hour break between shifts. He injected himself with a tranquilizer and he dropped dead, leaving a young wife and a beautiful two and a half year old daughter. This was absolutely devastating for both of us. 
we were completely numb, too numb to even pray. But we could do one thing, and that was simply to call on the name of Jesus. And in doing that, we had some comfort that God would work everything out for us. For me, it was very important to speak at the funeral. And as I stood to speak, I saw many of the drug-addicted people that we fed every single day, and they'd come to the funeral. And I had the thought, God, I keep these people alive who have wasted every opportunity that you've ever given them. And here I stand before them with my son in this box. It's just not fair. However, we know that Kurt knew the Lord and he went to be with him. And since then, many of the drug addicted people we, know, we still know and who are still alive have come to know Jesus. And while we still grieve after five years, it'll be five years tomorrow, we thank God that we've given, he's given us the chance to see his plan for some people's lives realized. In many ways, that experience has given us new hearts for the lost people that we work with every day. We know how much more that lost people matter to God and that we are so privileged to be able to be a part of God's plan to touch just some of them. The next turning point was what brings us here today. Feeding people is great. It keeps them alive physically, but for nearly five years we prayed for a way to reach people to touch their emotional and their spiritual lives. And we just didn't feel right with any of the church-based programs we knew of. But we knew that somewhere there was a program that would meet the needs of a multitude of life disorders that we saw in these people. And in March last year, we saw a video of a testimony from the Phoenix Vineyard where the people said they found the Lord at Celebrate Recovery. And as clearly as we heard the message, Feed the Poor, the Lord said, This is your program. Pretty powerful stuff. Now some of you have tried this giving my life to Jesus thing before and it didn't really work. You say, well, you know, I tried that and it just didn't happen. It didn't work. Well, my guess is that you were involved, but you weren't committed. You were kind of like the kamikaze pilot who flew 33 missions. He was involved, but he wasn't committed. So how do I take this step? Well, number one, I accept God's Son, Jesus, as my Savior. What does this mean? I want you to, to listen to this very carefully. It means committing as much of myself as I understand at this moment to as much of Christ as I understand at this moment. I'm going to say that again. It means committing as much of myself as I understand at this moment to as much of Jesus as I understand at this moment. Is that good enough? Absolutely. 
absolutely that is good enough. Number two, I accept God's word as my standard of living. And what that means is that from now on, you've got a manual that you're going to live your life by, and it's called the Bible. God says this is your standard by which you evaluate life around you. Paul tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching the faith and correcting error, for resetting the direction of a man's life, training him in good living. I accept God's will as my goal in life. Here's a wonderful question to ask yourself each and every morning. Lord, you woke me up this morning. It obviously means that you've got another day for me, a purpose for my life. So what do you want me to do with it? Seek first God's will. God, I'm willing to do anything, anywhere, anytime. I don't even have to understand it. But I'm living my life on your terms because you made me for a reason. You have a purpose for me and I want to fulfill that purpose. And then God's will becomes your strategy for life. Whether you understand it all in the moment or not. And then finally, I accept God's power as my strength. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything God asks me with the help of Jesus who gives me the strength and power. So you don't have to rely on your own energy. God says, I will give you my power to be all that I want you to be. Now, I have another ending planned for this message until I saw a Facebook post uh, from an acquaintance of mine. Now, his name is Leslie Gonzalez, and he was part of the group that I was a part of that went through the doctoral program at Regent. It's called a cohort in educationese. Um, and I saw this post, and you know, I thought it was sort of interesting. And then suddenly on Friday night, I had finished the message, everything kind of put it away. I wasn't even thinking about it at this point. I was doing something completely different. And I get this nudge from God where all of a sudden this post is back in my head front and center. And I realized at that point how perfect it was to close this message with. So I want to share what my friend Leslie wrote. He says... A total solar eclipse, a wacko threatening nuclear war, three hurricanes in the ocean at the same time, wildfires all across our country, a magnitude eight earthquake in Mexico. I'm not a huge end times guy, nor am I a fearmonger. But if you ain't right with Jesus, all I'm saying is you may want to think about it. To that I just simply say, Amen. I'm not a huge end times guy either. I don't get all wound up with that. It's interesting as a discussion topic, but I hold firm and fast to the words of Jesus where he says no one will know the day or the hour. And so while it might be 
interesting to debate and talk about. I just don't care. I mean, I, that sounds harsh, but that's really kind of what I mean. It, it, it's, it's irrelevant to my life. It truly is. If it happens in an hour from now, okay. If it happens 10,000 years from now, that's okay too. But he appended his post with two verses. The first is from Matthew. Now, well, the first is from Matthew. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. And then secondly was the scripture from Luke. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. So to quote my friend Leslie, if you ain't right with Jesus, then let today be the day that you get that way. All right. I don't know what all of these natural phenomenons mean, but it is kind of weird that we see all this happening at the same time. <clears throat> but I also don't think that ought to be the reason necessarily why? The reason is, should be very selfish on your part. It's because if you do this, you'll be the best thing that you ever did for yourself. And so I encourage you, as we have some folks that uh, come forward <coughs> who are willing to pray, that if <clears throat> that's a step that you have never taken and you want to take, they would be happy to pray with you. If it's a step you took a long time ago, but you were sort of like the folks on the video where that fire has gone out and you want to rekindle it, I think today would be a great day to do that. And if you just need prayer for anything at all, physical, healing, we see amazing things happen here all the time. And so I really encourage you to utilize this time and, uh, and get prayer. And as I say every week, this is your part of the service. Laney is going to uh, pray and share some, some worship music. You're free to, uh, to kind of hang out and just worship, listen, talk to God on your own, in your own time and space. If you need prayer, desire prayer, want to give your heart to Jesus or give your heart back to Jesus, then there are folks standing around here who would love to help you with that, me included. If you need to go, you are free to go with our, with our blessing. Uh, it's all whatever, it, you know, whatever fits for you today in this time and this place. 
So I'm going to pray a, a blessing over the end of our service, and then uh, we'll just go on accordingly. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for this third step, which you have made possible. For us to come to accept you into our life and to live the life that you have planned for us. So, Father, I pray against any fear that may be circulating in this room right now. Fear that might prohibit somebody from coming forward. I pray against any anxiety that may cause the same. Lord, let freedom break forth in this place. And let people choose the better way. Bless all of those gathered here. Father, just bless them in an abundant way. Guide us all in, in the steps that we will take the rest of today and, in, and the rest of our week. Father, I just pray that uh, there would be, that our weeks would be filled with God encounters of the kind which only you can orchestrate. And let us then marvel at how you have put these things together for us. So as we leave this place, Father, bless us, protect us, and grant us your grace and mercy. We love you. We worship you. And we say that our life is yours. So we lift it all up to you and we ask all these things now in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. Hope to